Please stand with me in honor of the word of God as I read from Numbers 14, 13 through 23. But Moses said to the Lord, Then the Egyptians will hear of it, for you brought up this people in your might from among them, and they will tell the inhabitants of this land. They have heard that you, O Lord, are in the midst of this people. For you, O Lord, are seen face to face, and your cloud stands over them, and you go before them, in a pillar of cloud by day, and in a pillar of fire by night. Now if you kill this people as one man, then the nations who have heard your fame will say, It is because the Lord was not able to bring this people into the land that he swore to give to them that he has killed them in the wilderness. And now, please let the power of the Lord be great, as you have promised, saying, The Lord is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, forgiving iniquity and transgression. But he will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and the fourth generation. Please pardon the iniquity of this people according to the greatness of your steadfast love, just as you have forgiven this people from Egypt until now. Then the Lord said, I have pardoned according to your word, but truly, as I live and as all the earth shall be filled with the glory of the Lord, none of the men who have seen my glory and my signs that I did in Egypt and in the wilderness, and yet have put me to the test these ten times and have not obeyed my voice, shall see the land that I swore to give to their fathers, and none of those who despised me shall see it. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Keely. You may be seated. What is God like? We sang about him today, this holy God. Numbers 14. 18 is this key verse in the center of what we read today. And it tells us what God is like. Says that he is merciful and gracious. He's slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and forgiving. But he will by no means clear the guilty. That's what we'll be focusing on today is that scripture we're reading the bible together and if you already did your reading for today you finished numbers so we've read genesis exodus leviticus and numbers together and so if you're following that whole story we have arrived at this point and picked this out today we've been looking at themes that run throughout all of the scripture and this verse is a key verse that runs throughout the old testament and it's mentioned, I think the Bible Project guy said, about uh, 20 times. And in part, it's listed a lot more times than that. Certain parts of this verse are listed over and over again through the story. So it's a very important verse. It's a, it's a theme of who God says he is, not who I say he is, not who anyone out there says it, it, he is. This is God saying this is who I am. 
This verse is very important, and I want us to focus on that today. Are we going to show the video or not? Okay. Jonathan's not there. So rather than me give like a review of this, this is some of the things that we've been watching as we read the Bible. And as we read it, we have some videos that will help catch us up on the story. Thank <laughs> you. 
Man, they did a good job of reviewing that <laughs> uh, for me. And, and you know me, I would have taken longer to try to catch us up on the story than that. They can do it uh, so quickly and so well with art. <clears throat> so we see that Numbers is the story we've been reading about uh, where they're at Mount Sinai. And then there's a couple of chapters of them traveling to the wilderness of Paran. And then a couple of chapters of them traveling again to the plains of Moab. And that's the overall journey that they're going on uh, to, to the promised land. And so our text today is in the wilderness of Paran. 
They have just traveled from Mount Sinai. They've gotten to the wilderness of Paran, which he explained was about halfway, and God uh, tells Moses to send in some spies and to look over the land. He picks one leader from each tribe, 12 spies, and they go in, and 10 of them come back and just say, we can't do it, and only two speak up for the Lord and obviously have faith in God that they can do it, and that's Joshua and Caleb, and they are the only two that are going to, above the age of 20, that are going to get to enter into the promised land. It's Joshua and Caleb. And Joshua will lead the new generation into the promised land that we begin seeing opening up at the end of Numbers. That's where our story is. But like he said, this story is told over and over again through the prophets, through the poets, through the wisdom literature, through the Psalms. And one of the key verses is this verse. This verse is, is mentioned over and over again. Here it is in Psalms uh, 103, where Psalms 103 is recounting this whole story. Here's a review from Psalm 103, verses 7 through 12. He made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the people of Israel. Here's this verse. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. Can anyone say amen? <laughs> Isn't that great? So he's reviewing the story of Moses and in the wilderness, and he's, and he's recounting that scripture about the Lord's steadfast love. And then he talks about how his love is so full of mercy and grace that it forgives us, and it forgives us so completely that it removes our sins. And so there's just a building upon this idea of who God is, and they just never forget that. They just never forget that key verse there. We see that in our text that Moses also says in this Numbers uh, 14, 18, he says, The Lord is slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, forgiving iniquity and transgression. But he has this in here, but he will by no means clear the guilty. So there's this tension there about, okay, God's loving, but he's also holy. He's also just. And we see that over and over again through this story. And God, through Moses here in, in, the, in the word of God, is, is saying, you've, you've always loved us, Lord, uh, all the way from Egypt. You know, you've, they've rebelled and you've forgiven them. And Moses is bringing this verse back up to God. Uh, but he will by no means clear the guilty. So we see this through there. We see these uprisings, and even as the uh, review showed, even in, the, in a couple of chapters previous, this Moses' own sister and, and brother start complaining against Moses. And even though Moses intercedes for them and God does forgive them, there is a sense of God judgment that comes upon them too. Miriam has leprosy 
and, 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 and Moses says, you know, please don't let her die. Don't let her flesh just rot away like this. And for her to die, please forgive her. And God says, well, you know, I'll forgive her, but she's going to be like this and has to stay outside of the camp for seven days and be unclean. So there's this justice of God that, that is coming also. He will by no means clear the guilty. And you see this tension there and how we need an intercessor. We need this Moses figure to intercede on our behalf uh, for our sinful condition that we're in. And then when, when uh, Joshua and Caleb speak, speak up in our text today, in our chapter, and they're like, we can do it. We believe God, you know. Uh, we can take this land. Uh, the people not only want to go back to Egypt and want to appoint a new leader to take them back to Egypt, they want to stone Joshua and Caleb. Uh, you know, so there's some pretty intense rebellion there, you know, in the story. And what does God do? Um, he ends up in our text today saying this. He says, I have pardoned. He says, but truly as I live, this is verse numbers 14, 20 through 23. And as all the earth shall be filled with the glory of the Lord, none of the men who have seen my glory and my signs that I did in Egypt and in the wilderness, all this deliverance, have seen all of this, and yet have put me to the test these ten times and have not obeyed my voice, shall see the land that I swore to give to their fathers, and none of those who despised me shall see it. So there's that justice. Do you, do you sense that? He will by no means clear the guilty. So briefly, that's what's going on there. And the, the ten spies, not only do the, the everyone over 20, uh, as this Numbers 14, 28 through 31 says, listed in the census, that's what numbers, numbers is a census, it's a numbering of the people of Israel. Uh, he says, from that list, from that census, from 20 years old and upward who've grumbled against me, not one shall enter the land that I swore except Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, and Joshua, the son of Nun. So everyone above 20, and that is what the Scripture goes on to say. But in Numbers 14, 37, it says, The men who brought up a bad report of the land died by a plague before the Lord. So you see that kind of justice of God. They were leaders. They were leaders of their tribe. They died um, by a plague there, and only Joshua and Caleb uh, did not of those 12 spies. So you see God's love and mercy working and you also see his justice working you see this scripture being fulfilled fulfilled in this story and throughout all the stories and so in nehemiah where they have solomon has built from the tabernacle that moses gave built the temple and then from the the temple's been destroyed because of the rebellion of god's people again and they've been taken into captivity into babylon and Nehemiah is instrumental in the rebuilding of the temple and getting the people back uh, after their 70 years of captivity to Babylon. And Nehemiah in chapter 9, verses 16 through 21, says this. He recounts the story, and if you listen, you'll hear this verse again. So you hear it over and over again through the prophets. Nehemiah 9, 16. But they and our fathers acted presumptuously and stiffened their neck and did not obey your commandments. They refused to obey and were not mindful of the wonders that you performed among them, but they stiffened their neck 
and appointed a leader to return to their slavery in Egypt. But you are a God ready to forgive, gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, and did not forsake them. Even when they made for themselves a golden calf and said, This is your God who brought you up out of Egypt and committed great blasphemies, you, in your great mercies, did not forsake them in the wilderness. Isn't that amazing? He just would not give up on them. These are examples over and over again of God's steadfast love. And so it gives us great hope for ourselves, right? And in our failures and our our rebellious ways over and over again we see God's love just pursuing us over and over again and so we see this scripture this numbers 14 17 through 19 where Moses is interceding for the people they've rebelled he knows it's bad they've done it over and over again you see when the Lord says these 10 times he just means like over and over and again he doesn't mean you know like exactly 10 times it's like when Jacob was serving Laban, and he used the same idiom, the same phrase. He goes, Laban keeps tricking me these 10 times. He keeps changing my wages these 10 times. And he means like, we well, would say 100 times. You've said that 100 times, or you've done that 100 times. It means just like, you've just done it so many times. And that's what God is saying here. They've despised me these 10 times. He's saying Israel's just done this over and over and over again. And and so when Moses is interceding at this point, he knows it's, it's, it's grieving the Lord and he senses the Lord and, you know, he senses that God could just wipe them out as one man and he's, he's saying, don't do that, God. You've, you've done this and he's concerned about God's name and he has God's heart and you see Moses' heart connected with God's heart and he said, you've let the whole world know that you've brought Israel out. You've done it through Egypt and these plagues and crossing the Red Sea and everybody's heard about it, God, and he's concerned about God's name and God loves this. He loves that Moses has a heart not just to wipe out the people and build a whole new race for Moses, yeah, me, Moses is very humble. He's, God even says of Moses, he's the meekest person on the earth that has lived. He just has this humility. He's concerned about God and his name, and he intercedes for the people, and he says, God, I want to remind you at that time, you know, before we got, you know, where we were there in Exodus uh, 33 uh, and 34, where I said, I don't want to go on, God, unless you're going to go with us. And this is when the first time this verse is mentioned in Exodus 34, where God reveals himself to Moses. And, and Moses is interceding and reminding God of that. You know, when you pray, you can pray God's word, and you can remind God of his promises towards you. And, and he loves to see that. He loves to see your heart in line with his word, and your prayer in line with his will and his word. And so Moses is doing that. And he's saying in verse 17, and now please let the the power of the Lord be great as you have promised. See, see, Moses is saying, Lord, be great as you have promised. You have promised saying this. And this is taking God back to when they were at Mount Sinai. And, 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 and this verse in Exodus 33 and in Exodus 34, verses 6 and 7, he's quoting this verse to him about what God said who he was. This is who revealed who he was. I'm Yahweh, Yahweh. I'm full of gracious mercy. And I'm slow of anger. My love is steadfast. And, 
And, and Moses is recounting that and saying, remember this, God. This is who you said you were, and this is who you are. And we've seen it over and over again since we left Egypt. Your love always wins out. Your steadfast love. From Egypt until now, we've seen it over and over again, uh, he, he, he says in these scriptures in verse 19. So God's steadfast love from Egypt until now, God has been slow to anger. This is one of his qualities and you've got to kind of see the time involved. Sometimes it looks like God's bringing this judgment, but he's real quickly, but he's not. He's like enduring them and giving these great signs and miracles and pouring his love. And like it says towards the end of Numbers, while they're in rebellion and, and doing all these things, he's up there protecting them from Balaam and his curses and not even just protecting them, but blessing them. This guy can't even announce curses on them. God won't allow him. He gets up to curse him so this other king can win and all he does is blessings come out of his mouth and they don't even know it they're just down there rebelling against God and his love is still over them this is the way it is sometimes we're just oblivious to God's protection over us and his speaking blessings over us uh, and and it's just his love it's just the way his love is and it's just shown throughout uh, this time of their wandering in the wilderness he's slow to anger the Bible Project guys and other people have brought this uh, out, and theologians talk about how slow to anger means long of nose. <laughs> long of nose. And, and, uh, and it's kind of the opposite of short of nose, like a, a bull. You know, like a bull, you know, when they're, they're doing the, the bulls and they have the, and, and the bull's going, <laughs> and digging in the ground and snorting through his nose, and like, and then they, and the bull charges and the, he goes, Toro, and he, you know, misses him, and that bull's just like, just ready to go, you know, like, just on edge with anger, you know, ready to attack. And, and God's the opposite of that. He's the opposite of that in image. He's slow to anger. He's full of mercy and loving kindness, and he, it, it takes a long time to really provoke God. You have to provoke him to anger over and over and over and over again to where the last hope to try to turn you is this. He's just long-suffering. That's what that word means. He's just slow to anger. He's long of nose. <laughs> and Deuteronomy is going to say this in, in coming as we're getting into Deuteronomy, this last speech of Moses. It's a uh, 9, Deuteronomy 9, verse 17. He says, remember, do not forget how you provoked the Lord your God to wrath in the wilderness. See, you have, to, you have to provoke his anger. You don't have to provoke his mercy and love. You barely prick him, and he'll pour out his love to you. You say, God, I need you. I'm a broken, contrite heart. He just pours out his love. He's just ready to pour out his love in an instant, but his anger is slow. And, and, and this, this scripture says that. You have to provoke anger out of the Lord. And he says, from the day you came out of the land of Egypt until you came to this place, you have been rebellious against the Lord. Even at Horeb, you provoked the Lord to wrath. The Lord was so angry with you, he was ready to destroy you. But that's provoked anger. That's, you know, just over and over again, the psalmist says, 106, 29, they provoked the Lord to anger with their deeds, and a plague broke out among them. This, it, it has to be just something that is provoked over and over again before God's anger comes out. First Kings 14.9 says, But you have done evil 
above all who were before you. You've done and made for yourself other gods and metal images. You've broken all my commandments, and you've provoked me to anger and have cast me behind your back. You've just forgotten me, the Lord says. And so there's these scriptures that talk about how his anger has to be provoked, but not his love. Isaiah 54, 7 through 8 says, But for a brief moment I deserted you, but with great compassion I will gather you. I, in overflowing anger for a moment I hid my face from you, but with everlasting love I will have compassion on you, says the Lord your Redeemer. Redeemer, Isaiah 54, 7 through 8. Isn't that a beautiful contrast? My anger, slow to anger. I will get there to discipline you. If it's as a last resort, you know, um, the, the guilty will bear that justice, but my love is everlasting. My compassion is always towards you, even through that. Psalm 30, verse 5 says, But his anger is but for a moment, but his favor is for a lifetime. Aren't you glad for that? Whew. Weeping may tarry for the night, but joy comes in the morning. Psalm 30, verse 5. Hallelujah. So God's steadfast love, it's so beautifully seen throughout the Scripture. And this is a Scripture uh, dear to my heart. I memorized as a, as a kid, uh, you know, uh, out of high school and uh, went to college with this Scripture. And it was Lamentations 3, uh, 22 through 24. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. Do you hear that portion of that? The steadfast love of the Lord. We used to sing this old song back in those days, and it was kind of went like this. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning, new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness, O Lord. Great is thy faithfulness it's just a reminder of the steadfast love of the Lord yes sometimes we provoke him over and over again to anger but he's slow to anger you know that's just our stubborn stiff necked stubborn disobedience as a people but when he afflicts his justice upon us it's not from his his heart even uh, lamentations three thirty three. right after this it's the actual rabbis and theologians look and lamentations of jeremiah's this poem so poets mention this scripture again and poets write in uh in in, in uh, ordered words so even english kind of translated lamentations to show this it has in the first chapter 22 verses then Jeremiah's lamentation in the second chapter has 22 verses. And they all start with the first letter because Hebrew alphabet has 22 letters. So each letter starts with their letter of their alphabet. And it's a poem just written with each letter. Can you imagine constructing that for 22 verses? Then 22 verses. And then there's chapter 3. And you know what it is? 66 verses. 
So he goes through the Hebrew alphabet three times in the middle of the book. And then he constructs chapter 4 with 22 verses again and chapter 5 with 22 verses again. That's how Lamentations is just this complex, amazing poetry. It's beautifully written. And at the very center, of course, they look at these things, kind of like how you saw Israel was at the center You know how God was at the center of Israel and how they had to encamp and the priests were all encamped right around God, you know, in the tabernacle. And then each tribe, three tribes went out this way, three tribes, three tribes, three tribes. And at the very center of their existence was God. And at the very center of Lamentations 3 is verse, chapter 3, verse 33. So they look at the very center of this whole poem. And this whole poem says this. And it's a very, it's a lament. It's a, it's a sad, sad, sad song. But Lamentations 3.33 says this, For he does not afflict from his heart or grieve the children of men. He does not afflict from his heart. And when he does, when, you, when he's provoked to anger and you see these judgments being poured out and his justice because of his holy standards uh, being poured out, it's not from his heart. What's from his heart is his compassion towards you, his steadfast love. And that's why that scripture just previously to this in Lamentations 3, 22 and 23 is so beautiful. The steadfast Lord of the love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. His love wins out toward you. He might afflict you in the temporary, but it's not from his heart to do you harm. It's to bring you to repentance for a broken and contrite heart. He will not despise. Just come to him, look to him. And when we look at this within, within our text and we go back to Exodus 34-7, this scripture that Moses is quoting in our text is from this experience where God reveals himself. And he says, keeping steadfast love for thousands. And what that means is for thousands of generations. Think about it. His love is toward thousands of generations. It's a long time, right? Your children, your children's children, your grandchildren, your great-grandchildren, their children, and children's children, and then go a thousand times. That's how far his love goes and his promise of his steadfast love goes. And it does say that he will not by no means clear the guilty, but how long does he say that goes on for? People mention this all the time, right? to the third and fourth generation. That's not as long, right? (laughs) You know, he doesn't afflict from his heart. It's like God's mercy and his steadfast love goes on for thousands, thousands of generations. There's literally no end to it, his steadfast love, but his holding justice to the guilty goes on to the third and fourth generation. There is a sense of justice there that God is upholding and, but I want you to see the vastness of his love. This love came to the, the prince of all preachers, they call him, Charles Spurgeon. His testimony was, uh, look unto me and be saved. He heard this scripture as he said in church. It was a text from Isaiah 45, 22. And he heard that word and he felt hope rise. There's some hope in that text for me. Just look unto the Lord and be saved. Just look to him. And this preacher just went on in the real simple way in England. He was raised in 
in, in, in Britain, and he was in this church, this Methodist uh, church, Charles Spurgeon, yes, in a Methodist church, sitting there, and this preacher said, look unto me, a he said, in broad Essex, in his English tone. He said, many on ye are looking to yourselves, but it's no use looking there. You'll never find any comfort in yourselves. Look to Christ. The text says, look unto me. And this is the testimony of Charles Spurgeon. He just simply looked unto the Lord and was saved. And that's what I'm announcing to you today. It's just look unto the Lord. It is that simple. Look unto him. The answers aren't within ourselves. They're not within somebody else. They're within God alone. And God has pointed the way. That is that God in Christ has shown us the perfect love that he has. This endless, steadfast love that he has. And so we look to God and we're saved because of Jesus. Do you remember the story in Numbers here as they were uh, going on to uh, the plains of Moab where they begin to be getting bitten by the venomous snakes? You know, the snakes that he showed on there and they're all getting bitten. And then God tells Moses to do this strange thing. He says, get this pole and make a bronze replica of one of those snakes that's biting the people and put it up on that pole and carry it. And when anyone's bitten by one of those snakes, so Moses is interceding for him. He's like interceding. God, what's happened? The people are dying. They're just falling dead. These snakes are coming out, biting them. They're coming from everywhere. Just a plague of, of serpents, fiery serpents. They're sting burned. It hurt. It killed them in a painful way. He's interceding, and God tells him to do that. And he says, if they get bit, and they'll get bit. All they have to do is look towards that pole that you're carrying with that bronze serpent on it. So they're getting bit by these fiery serpents, but they're looking up towards a bronze replica of this curse that's biting them. And if they'll just look, that's all they got to do. It's like the same thing. Just look, and they're saved. Just look towards the bronze serpent, and they will be saved. And that's in Numbers 21. And in verse 8, that's where God says for Moses to make this fiery serpent and set it on a pole. And whoever will look to it and see it, uh, they, their life will be spared when they're bitten. When they're bitten, look. And this is the story that Jesus brings up to Nicodemus in John chapter 3. He's recounting this story. Jesus recounts stories from Numbers. And he's recounting to Nicodemus, hey, you remember when we were wandering in the wilderness as a people and the fiery serpents were biting us and, 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 and God told Moses to build this bronze you know, thing and stick it up on a pole? And then here's what he tells Nicodemus in John three fourteen: As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. Just like Moses lifted up that serpent, so the Son of Man must be lifted up. And whoever believes in him, will have eternal life. For God so loved the world. Listen to this steadfast love. This is the steadfast love of God bringing Christ. That he gave his only son, his one and only son, his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him 
Just look to him. Look to him on the cross. Look at the cross up here. Look at Jesus. Would not perish but have eternal life. See, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. It's his steadfast love to save him. It's his steadfast love that never gave up. It arrived fully in Jesus, and it arrived fully upon the cross. So God has indeed caused all his goodness to pass before us. Moses in Exodus 33 said, God said, I'm going to cause my, he said, let me see your glory, God. Tell me who you are. Let me know your ways. This is the scripture he came, who he said he was. I'm Yahweh, Yahweh. Okay. But he said, all my goodness will pass before you. He put him in the cleft of the rock and he covered him. But God has indeed caused all his goodness to pass before us. Christ. Christ was lifted up on that pole, that cross, that wretched tree. And he, all of his glory passed before us. All of his glory passed before us in Jesus upon that tree, that cursed tree. He became a curse for us. And if we will but look to him, we will see all God's glory passing before us in Jesus upon the cross. Yahweh, Yahweh, compassionate and merciful, overflowing with steadfast love. You were pierced and you bled out your mercy for us and upon us to forgive us and to wipe away our sin and remove it as far as the east is from the west. Have you looked unto him? Amen. Has his glory passed before you upon that wretched tree? It has in Christ. In Christ, and you can look to Him. Believers look to Him. Believers look to Him, and and, and apply His daily forgiveness. Daily, He said to pray. Give us today our daily bread, and forgive us daily of our transgressions, as we forgive those who trespass against us. So daily we come and we look to Christ. And our tongues sings of his righteousness, and our tongues will declare his praise. That's part of the application here. Part of the application of seeing God's steadfast love is David in the Psalms. David in Psalm 51, we read that yesterday, I believe, because we're reading a psalm a day too. And so we read Psalm 51 yesterday. And this is David's psalm after he's committed the sin with Bathsheba. And Nathan the prophet has confronted him. And here's how he opens up the line in Psalm 51.1. Have mercy on me, O God. According to what? According to who you said you were. According to your steadfast love. According to your abundant mercy. Blot out my transgressions. He knows God will do this. He knows who God is. He knows God will forgive him even of this. He knows this God of Moses. He knows this God of Exodus. He knows this God of Numbers, where Moses interceded and God forgave the people of their blasphemous rebellions. And he says, God, forgive me because of your steadfast love. He's quoting this scripture to him. Forgive me. And what is the result of that that we've seen Jesus now, that we've seen him on the cross. His glory is passed before us and forgiven us our sins as believers. And Psalm 51, 
13 through 15. I use this as an avocation for this verse. Then I will teach transgressors your ways, and sinners will return to you. Our mission is to just be a testimony of God's steadfast love towards us. Come on, saints. Tell people of God's steadfast love towards you, his faithfulness towards you, his never-ending, unchangeable, never-giving-up love on you. Tell people. Teach transgressors your way. And allow sinners to return to God. That's one thing we can do. And the other thing we can do, he says, my tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness. In Psalm 51, 15, David goes on to say, O Lord, open my lips and my mouth will declare your praise. Let's praise him. Let's praise him together today, saints. And let's go out and teach transgressors his way. And let's go out and declare his praise. Can you say amen? Amen. Let's sing, stand, and worship in this closing song together.